What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Double Move Sports. As always, I'm Steph, and I'm here with my best friend Alex. Say what's up to the people. Dude, what just happened? <laughs> like This has been the craziest what? free agency I think we've ever seen. I mean, if Monday morning you would have told me that by Friday that Todd Gurley would be a Falcon, Tom Brady <laughs> would be on the Buccaneers, DeAndre Hopkins would be on the Cardinals, like, I think you would have... Wild. You would have been insane if you said that, but wow, what a week <laughs> it's been. Um, I think we all needed something to talk about here in the offseason. There's no sports going on uh, right now with all the coronavirus concerns, so we hope everyone's staying safe out there, but thank goodness for NFL football, even in the offseason. Uh, tons of moves to talk about, tons of fantasy football implications as well, uh, so I'm super, super hyped to get into some of this stuff today. And we're going to break down each one here. You know, here at Double Moose Sports, we're going to be the perfect mix of fantasy and football. So we're going to talk about fantasy implications, um, you know, NFL as a whole, and, and playoff and Super Bowl implications for each of the moves. But Alex, I think we're ready to go ahead and jump into it here. Let's start with the biggest one, the one that shocked the world. It started it all, when, too started it all you know you knew this was going to be a good free agency and this is the first one breaking and it's deandre hopkins being traded to the arizona cardinals in exchange for david johnson a few other pieces we're going to talk about the cardinals and the texans here but right off the bat let's talk about hopkins and his implication for fantasy and for the cardinals and i think the first kind of point we got to make here is kyler murray's going to get a huge bump up don't you agree yeah, this, I mean, the trade, <laughs> we can talk about how bad the trade was all we want. It was David Johnson, a second round pick this year and a fourth round pick next year for DeAndre Hopkins and a fourth round pick this year. So if you net out the fourth round picks, it's basically David Johnson and a two for Hopkins, which is unreal. <laughs> and the Texans take on that contract as well. Um, but back to the Cardinals and Kyler Murray, I think the offense should take a huge step up this year. I had them to take a huge step up anyway uh, in year two under Cliff Kingsbury. And this might be a hot take, but... In regards to fantasy, I have Kyler Murray as my QB3 now for 2020. Wow. I have Lamar Jackson and Mahomes at 1-2. And to me, Kyler was already uh, like a 5 or 6. I think he finished last year as you know QB7 or 8. I don't have that off the top of my head. Um, but to me, I think this jumps him in front of Dak Prescott, in front of uh, Deshaun Watson, in front of... Josh Allen. I mean, he was ninth in the NFL in attempts as a rookie. I think he's going to, you know, it was 540 or so attempts. I think that's going to go up to 600 in year two. We don't usually see rookie quarterbacks throw for uh, an obscene amount of volume, but 540 attempts is still pretty good. And I think um, with a better offense and they're on the field more, that's going to be 600 this year. Um, his TD rate was low. He only threw 20 pass touchdowns in 2019. So you think about that. He was ninth in attempts, but he was 21st in passing touchdowns. So I think that's going to kind of even out a little bit, and we could see him get up to 25 or 30 touchdowns from the 20 he threw as a rookie. And then in terms of rushing yards, we know how mobile he is. He was second in the NFL uh, amongst quarterbacks in rush yards this season as a rookie. He rushed for 544 yards, second to only Lamar Jackson. That's, I mean, if you break that down, that's 30 or so rush yards a game. That's an extra three points from a fantasy football perspective, not even counting touchdowns. So for me, I mean, Kyler had a phenomenal rookie season. Um, he won Offensive Rookie of the Year. And I think in year two, he's going to take a huge step up. This offense is going to take a step up. And now you add DeAndre Hopkins into the mix, a top – I mean, he's in the discussion for the best receiver in the NFL. It's not even like, oh, he's an elite receiver. Absolutely. It's like it's Michael Thomas, it's DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, Devontae Adams, and then there's like a huge gap. So – 
absolutely crazy move. And I think Kyler Murray uh, has a ton of upside in 2020. But unfortunately, I think the hype is going to push his ADP um, higher and higher uh, to where I might not be willing to touch him in early rounds. Steph, what do you think? Yeah, they, this move will absolutely help the offense as a whole. You give Kyler all the weapons that he needs to run the the execute on, on the air raid offense that Kingsbury wants to run and is bringing to the NFL. I think you look at Kenyon Drake. I think he's going to stay the same. He's going to have a lot of fantasy value. I do worry, just like you do, about the entire offense uh, getting a little overhyped, kind of like we saw the Browns before 2019. A lot of their pieces and weapons got overhyped. Uh, as we get closer to the draft, we'll see where the ADP shakes out. I expect it to be pretty high. Uh, I think a lot of people will have Kyler at that QB3, just like you do. I may not be that high on him, but he's certainly in my top eight for sure. You know, last time or last season, I should say, we saw the Cardinals offense stall out a little bit, especially when you had Christian Kirk, who is kind of their de facto wide receiver one. I know that's some people are going to disagree with that just because of Larry Fitzgerald, which, you know, Fitz is still a beast and I love him as a player, but for fantasy, he's really nothing more than a streamer. You know, we look at Fitz last year, he finishes the wide receiver 35. He had 75 receptions for 804 yards and four touchdowns. And he would take over at times when Christian Kirk was banged up. We saw Kirk miss three games um, with some lower body injuries. Um, but we did see some really high flashes in this offense. So I want to uh, read you a couple stat lines between the Kyler Murray and Christian Kirk stack, because I think this will point us in, or at least give us a glimpse, I should say, of where Hopkins and Murray are going to be on a weekly basis in fantasy. So we have uh, a game at Baltimore. We had Kyler completing 62% of his passes for 349 yards putting up 16 fantasy points. And Christian Kirk in PPR leagues uh, had six receptions for 144 yards at 17 fantasy points. So that's a game right there in a tough matchup on the road against Baltimore. They both played pretty well. Um, you'd love to have that stack on your team, double dip from Kyler's volume and production. Look at uh, their game against Tampa Bay. We knew that one was going to be a shootout. I think everybody was circling that one as a matchup that was uh, going to be you know, very, very high scoring. And we, again, had Kyler completing about 62% of his passes, 324 yards, three touchdowns, all of which went to Christian Kirk. He did throw an interception, but that's 26 fantasy points that Kyler put up. And you have Christian Kirk in that game having you know six receptions, 138 yards, and the three touchdowns, like we said, putting him at 38 fantasy points. So I think we see a very high ceiling for Hopkins and for Murray here as well. The last one I want to read is, is against Carolina at home. Kyler completed 70% of his passes uh, for 173 yards and then added another 70 yards on the ground, finishing with 18 fantasy points that week. And Kirk had 10 receptions and, and 59 yards to the air, finishing with 16 fantasy points. So regardless if it comes through pass volume, um, reception volume, however that production comes, I think it will come. And I think there will be a you know, pretty high floor and ceiling for Hopkins and Murray uh, in 2020. Now, yeah, I David, got one last thing. I got one last thing on ahead. the Arizona side. I just, I just want to uh, double down on what you said. I think uh, a lot of people have said this uh, in the media and things like that, but, but I agree with them that Hopkins probably stays about the same. I think it's maybe a slight, maybe a slight downgrade at quarterback because I mean Kyler Murray's just younger, still developing. But then the the fast paced offense that Hopkins is going to be in, uh, I think, kind of evens that out. So for me, he's still to me the second wide receiver off the board in fantasy, just behind Michael Thomas. Um, just for some quick context, Deshaun Watson threw the ball 495 times last season, 505 the season before. 
Uh, Murray last season, as we said, threw it 540 times, and we think that's going to get up to 600 this year. If Hopkins' target share is even, you know, 25%, I expect it to be in the 25 to 30% range. That should mean, you know, 150 to 170 targets in Arizona this season. Over the past two seasons, he's had 150 and 163 targets. So uh, that's going to be just in line from a target volume perspective. Uh, it should be in line with what he was seeing in Houston. And then one last thing, Christian Kirk, I am moving him down a little bit just because Hopkins is going to come in and eat up so much of that volume. To me, he's a low-end wide receiver, too, or a flex play next season. Um, Steph, do you agree with that? Uh, I've actually got a couple guys yeah. I want to, to size up Christian Kirk against. Um, but first, let me know what you think about uh, Kirk's value in fantasy for 2020. I think Kirk will kind of take over that Will Fuller role that we saw that Texans have. He'll he'll take the top off defenses. He'll kind of be that deep threat. I think he will see lower volume. Uh, but then again, you look at that pace of play for the Cardinals. They're the fourth uh, you know, highest pace of play across the entire NFL, which means just a lot of volume, a lot of plays, a lot of receptions, a lot of attempts for everybody who's on the field in that offense, all their skill position players. Um, but I do like Kirk, though. I do take him down, like you said, but I do like him. Would you rather have Christian Kirk next season or Golden Tate? Ooh, I think I'm going to take the upside on Christian Kirk there. Uh, man, that that's actually a pretty tough one. I like that. <laughs> uh, what about Anthony Miller? Um, I'll take – wow. I'll take Anthony Miller in this one. I'm, I'm going to take the jump and say that Trubisky will have a little bit of a fire lit under him with Nick Foles here. And if it is Nick Foles, I like Anthony Miller as well. Cool. A couple more for you. Uh, what about Curtis Samuel in Carolina? That's a tough one. I, I like Kyler Murray's arm, um, his deep ball more than I like Teddy Bridgewater's. So I'm going to say Kyler Murray on that one. But I think both can be, be you know, kind of in that same tier where deep threats, you're, you're going to start them in certain matchups. You're going to stay away from in others. And last one, Christian Kirk or Tyrell Williams. Interesting. I'm taking Christian Kirk on this one. Absolutely. And with Kirk, I mean, we've seen some other offenses support that 1A, 1B type situation. Obviously, the Buccaneers is the low-hanging fruit here. Mike Evans is the elite wide receiver. Chris Godwin is able to level up and become a star receiver himself. In Atlanta, we're seeing that start to happen. Maybe uh, maybe this year it'll really be more of a Godwin-Evans situation with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. In Dallas, they've got Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, who both went over 1,000 yards last season. Uh, the Browns with Odell and Jarvis support two strong you know, star receivers. The Vikings did it for a while. Well, maybe not this past season, but Thielen and Diggs was always a great one-two punch. So it's definitely possible for Kirk to continue to develop as a player. Hopkins, obviously, um, is going to take that hype and that upside down a little bit, but there's still a lot of room for him to be a solid contributor in fantasy football. So um, moving on now to the Texan side of this trade, Steph, what are the biggest implications for Houston? What do you think about Deshaun Watson? What do you think about this offense? I mean, they're bleeding for help at wide receiver. Who do you <laughs> think is going to step up there in Houston this season? So I definitely Deshaun Watson takes a hit. Even if they strike gold in the draft, I'm – of the belief that the Texans are going to try to draft a wide receiver. We know how stacked this wide receiver group is coming into the pros this year. Even if they strike gold there, I still see this as a major, major downtick for Watson. He completed 67% of his passes uh, in 2019. I expect that to dip a little bit. Uh, he did have the wow. second most fantasy points per game amongst all quarterbacks. So I, I think that's a huge hit uh, to this offense. And my belief in Bill O'Brien is waning, as I'm sure everyone else is <laughs> as well, uh, on what he can put together. You know, I, I don't like David Johnson at, at all. If, if I have him in Dynasty, I'm trying to sell him for probably the last time that his value is going to spike. 
Um, he's still going to split carries, I think, with Duke Johnson, and they have the same mm-hmm. skill set. Like, I don't even understand this move from mm-hmm. a personnel standpoint. If they're going to ask David Johnson to be their goal line back, I think that's just silly. We saw how bad Johnson was with previous head coach in Arizona, Steve Wilkes, when they would just hand the ball up to him up the middle. He was extremely inefficient, um, and most of his hay is made through the passing game. You know, we look at the nine games that David Johnson started, uh, or the 13 that he played in 2019. He had 94 rushes for 345 yards. So that's 3.7 yards per attempt. Uh, Extremely inefficient there. I shouldn't say extremely, but relatively inefficient. Uh, And then 36 receptions for 370 yards and four touchdowns. So he had more yards through the air, twice as many touchdowns through the air. Um, So that's really where he makes his hay in that passing game. So I don't even know really where he fits in there. The Texans historically haven't really passed it or checked down uh, to the running back position too much. Um, Now, one guy that I do think is interesting that, wasn't in this trade, but is now on the Texans offense is Randall Cobb, who the Texans signed uh, from the Cowboys. He actually does get a slight bump for me as much as I hate to say it. (laughs) He finishes the wide receiver 44 last year with 83 targets and 55 receptions on the Cowboys. I expect that volume for Cobb to go up. Um, So I think he's going to be a piece that is going to fall in drafts. You can take him late, plug him in. Um, But man, I think this is just such a nasty move for the Texans to make. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to reiterate a lot of the things you just said, but uh, Deshaun Watson to me, I think he's still a top eight quarterback. I had him probably around three or four uh, just based on what he's done in the past and what he can do with his legs. To me, he's still around that QB5, QB6 range. We've seen him kind of put the team on his back when he's needed to in the past. Um, and, And to me, like you obviously have Lamar and Mahomes. Now you've got Kyler getting Hopkins, Watson losing Hopkins. So he's definitely... I'm going to take a a backseat to Kyler now. Uh, And then you look at maybe a guy like Josh Allen is up there, Dak Prescott. And and after that, I think, you know, there's an argument to be made for that six to eight range. But um, like you said, I think they still need a wide receiver in the draft. Will Fuller, Randall Cobb, Kenny Stills, and Kiki Cutie doesn't really scare me that much. Um, (laughs) And, you know, David Johnson, I think the situation's better than it was in Arizona with Kenyon Drake there. But to me, I'm not super excited about David Johnson. If he's my running back two and I have some really strong receivers and a strong running back one, like I'm okay with that. Um, But I'm not counting on him to have some sort of breakout season. I think he's going to kind of have the same type of role as Carlos Hyde did last season. I think he's going to get the bulk of the carries. So maybe he could see a thousand yards if he's able to be efficient. But we saw it with Carlos Hyde last year. You could play him as a running back too, but there just wasn't a whole lot of uh, things to get you excited. There weren't a lot of touchdowns. Carlos Hyde only caught 10 passes last season. So I expect David Johnson to maybe catch a few more than that. But like you said, Duke Johnson is still there. Uh, They don't throw to the running back a lot. And when they do, Duke Johnson is probably going to be the guy in the field. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, And then lastly, at the wide receiver position, you know, Randall Cobb, we'll see what happens. If he ends up being you know, the wide receiver one there this season. I think you could make an argument that he's a wide receiver two or a high-end flex play. Um, he's still only 29 years old. He could find himself just, you know, falling into 100 targets this season. The last time he had 100 targets was in 2015, uh, but he did have 79 catches that year for 800 or so yards and six touchdowns. So that was, you know, enough to be a serviceable fantasy option uh, on, a, on any given week. And so for me, you know, Will Fuller, I've seen a lot of Will Fuller hype. You're like, oh, he's going to take that Hopkins role. He's going to get so many targets. But to me, not not a lot changes. Like, he's still super injury prone. He's still super boomer bust. He's still going to be mostly stretching the field. Um, so I think he might see one to two additional of those boom games this season. Uh, but he's still going to be a guy that if you roll him out there, you're just like praying for a miracle um, and praying that Watson's able to connect with him on a couple deep balls. So Steph, real quickly. 
Randall Cobb, Will Fuller, and Christian Kirk are on the board for your flex in fantasy. You have to play them for the whole season. Who do you want um, as your flex <laughs> of these three options? Oh, this is brutal. Um, <laughs> man, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to take Christian Kirk here. I'm just going to stay away from the Texans as a whole. I don't think yeah, they're going to be able to establish smart. the run at all. I, I really don't think they're going to be able to run much. I don't think they're going to be efficient. You know, we saw Carlos Hyde pretty much fall forward for over a thousand yards this year, but yep. you feel like you couldn't really get a ton of fantasy value out of that. It was very like, spread across the entire season. There weren't really many boom games. Maybe you're praying for you know two uh, you know touchdowns from a running back in that backfield, but I, I don't like it at all uh, for them. Now I will say, I will say on the flip side of the coin, just like how we said the Cardinals are going to get overhyped leading up to the draft, I could see David Johnson getting a little bit buried as we That's get closer true. to the draft. So we'll have That's to keep true. our eyes on that. You know, if they're going to give him that volume, we have seen David Johnson at his peak be you know a top five running back in the NFL. If he's healthy, if he's back, if reports uh, during OTAs and training camp are looking positive for David Johnson, he's one that if if he comes to me at the right value, I'm okay taking him. Uh, but let's go ahead and move over here to probably the the most surprising trade. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe the, the Hopkins one was more. But Tom Brady leaving the New England Patriots after 20 seasons and coming over to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't think anyone saw this coming except for Alex, uh, who called it on one of our quarterback free agency shows, yeah. saying, hey, look, they have the weapons. If Brady wants to come in and play just like he did, you know, kind of in his prime with, with tons of weapons around him, you know, that 2010s Brady, um, this could be a good landing spot. And you look at Bruce Arians as kind of the anti-Belichick. Uh, we could see Tom Brady maybe, maybe find a sweet spot here as he kind of ends his career in Tampa Bay. But what's your outlook fantasy-wise? Certainly, things are going to change from Jameis Winston over to Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, I think this was kind of the narrative of it's the classic New England rumors again. You know, Tom Brady is looking elsewhere. But everyone's kind of thinking, like, there's no way Tom Brady's actually leaving. But this one was different. He signed the two-year, $50 million deal with the Buccaneers. It's fully guaranteed. Uh, the Bucks. I mean, after going 7-9 and nine last season, they have a lot of really good pieces on that team. Adding Brady, adding a guy who's not going to throw 30 interceptions, I could bet about anything on that. Um, they're going to be a real contender this year, and that's going to be a really fun division with the Buccaneers, the Saints, uh, the Panthers now with Teddy Bridgewater, and the Falcons. So that's going to be super competitive. But from a fantasy perspective, speaking Tom Brady, uh, speaking about Tom Brady himself, I'm moving him up into the QB 10 to 12 range. He's a guy that you could – take in the middle rounds of a draft have as kind of your week in week out starter and pair him with a deeper sleeper like a Daniel Jones or a Drew Locke or someone like that and kind of roll out that one-two punch and and see if you got the upside in a Drew Locke or a Daniel Jones but then still have Brady for a for a, a margin of safety at the quarterback position so I'm much more interested in Brady now with uh, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and even OJ Howard to throw the ball to uh, this season and something I didn't realize about Brady last year it seemed like the volume was down and the efficiency was down and everything was down he still had over 600 attempts last season absolutely crazy and his completion yeah, percentage is most. almost the lowest of his career um, so I mean people are saying oh Jameis Winston they had so much passing volume like they won't pass that much with Tom Brady Tom Brady only threw the ball 13 times less than Jameis Winston last season and that was in New England now you pair him with Bruce Arians I don't think the volume's going to go anywhere. And maybe, you know, Brady's not going to sling it down the field as much as Jameis Winston did, but he's still going to be passing the ball. And I, I can guarantee you this season his completion percentage um, is going to be higher than Jameis Winston's was last year. So 
I think now you give him Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and a tight end. And, and all those guys shouldn't – I mean, some people are saying maybe Mike Evans sees a little bit of a, a decrease because Brady's not just going to chuck it down the field to him. Maybe you could make an argument for that. But I think he's still in consideration for a wide receiver one. I think Chris Godwin has a similar outlook. Uh, Brady's going to be more accurate. Godwin runs a lot of those shorter and underneath routes but can still get open deep. Uh, and then a guy I really want to keep an eye on in this offense is O.J. Howard. People have kind of left O.J. Howard for dead after the terrible, terrible things he did to people in 2019. But <laughs> we know what Brady has done with Titans in the past. He had that incredible connection with Gronk. He, you know, even used Aaron Hernandez back in the day really well. He's always liked, you know, the slot receivers and the tight ends and the running backs to throw it to. And maybe that's a little bit of the system that Bill Belichick runs. But just knowing that Brady's kind of played that way his whole career, you've got to think O.J. Howard – um, season uptick. You've got to think that Ronald Jones season uptick receiving the ball out of the backfield. So for me, those are two of the smaller pieces that I think people aren't really talking about as much. I think Godwin and Evans, you can pretty much keep them the same. But OJ Howard is worth a pick to me in the double digit rounds. He could be a top 10 tight end this year. He's got the skill set and the athleticism to do it. And then Ronald Jones with Peyton Barber, uh, a free agent and most likely leaving town. I don't know that they're going to bring anyone else in. So it's going to be Ronald Jones and Agumbawale in the backfield. And you've got to think Ronald Jones is going to catch more passes. Uh, he's going to get more carries. So for me, those are the two pieces that I really like on this offense after this move. And, and I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be a force to be reckoned with in 2020. I agree 100%. I do feel like there is a huge range of outcomes on this offense. I'm sure beat reporters and double move sports are going to be monitoring this offense like a hawk leading up to this yep. season to really see what they're going to do in terms of you know what what playmakers they want to give the ball to more what does their game plan look like what does their scheme look like what kind of personnel are they running there's really two directions if you think about it, like a north and south kind of magnetic pull right there's two directions you can go one's kind of the brady you know, what we've seen from him with a huge sample size with Belichick, and maybe that's more of Belichick's scheme and not a Brady thing, but let's assume that is is the case there. We have the Brady side, and then on the other side of the spectrum, we have the Arian side, and I kind of have two different ways things could shake out. I think everybody uh, will most likely take a bump in that offense just because you're not going to have Brady turning the ball over as much. I still think there's going to be plenty of volume like, like you alluded to. On the Arian side, we have Godwin. Um, he'll he'll be, still be fantastic. We saw him have huge success in 2019 in the, the Bruce Arian scheme in the first year. Uh, Evans will stay great. He's been, you know, since he's coming to the league, a top wide receiver. You look at Josh Gordon for the Patriots. A lot of people say, oh, Brady can't throw it deep anymore. He's getting too old. He can't sling it like he used to. You look at some of those games with Josh Gordon, uh, you know, last year, even over the last three or four years, he was still completely fine for fantasy and for the Patriots offense. And I expect Evans to be way more productive than Josh Gordon. Um, and then also with Arians, I expect dump offs to the running back. So Jones, like you said, increase in pass volume. But Arians really doesn't look to the tight end that much. And so this is something that we need to monitor. And then on the Brady side, I see a huge bump to O.J. Howard, huge bump to even Cameron Brait. Uh, he's still useful at times. We saw him as a streamer two years ago that you could plug in. I think once some people some championships in fantasy. Uh, on the Brady side, I also see a huge bump to Ronald Jones. I think Jones gets a bump either way. Uh, Evans will be a little bit more boom bust in a Brady style offense like Josh Gordon. And then Godwin becomes the new Julian Edelman, right? Like a, a underneath guy, check down guy running these, you know, slants and, and five yard out routes. I think Godwin uh, becomes the clear 1A now to Evans 1B, but both certainly could finish as wide receiver ones just like they did in 2019. So anything else to add? 
about this offense. I'm, I'm extremely excited to see what they can do. Nothing else to add. Only other thing to, to say is I love how, you know, you kind of split that out. There's two ranges of outcomes, the Arians outcome and the Brady outcome. And the one guy who really seems like he's going to benefit either way is Ronald Jones. So definitely someone to keep an eye on. I know we've talked about him uh, in past podcasts, things like that, this offseason as a sleeper for 2020. This only continues to um, increase and build on that narrative. So Ronald Jones, keep an eye on him. Hopefully he doesn't uh, rise too high up draft boards. Uh, come draft season and you can get them for a good value yeah more than likely you know what's actually going to happen in reality is we're going to land somewhere in the middle between the Brady and Arian side so again we'll keep our eyes on this one I'm sure there's going to be plenty of talking points here leading up to the season let's go ahead and move over to Teddy B who is now a Carolina Panther is taking over that Cam Newton role and right away to me this just screams stability in the Panthers offense I see a slight bump for everybody especially over over Kyle Allen even though I think Allen was fine for a filler um, we've seen what he is and you look at Teddy Bridgewater in those you know, five games uh, early in the Saints season that he started he had a 68 percent completion percentage so Kyle Allen's was 62 percent so you think right there that's already an improvement uh, putting up about 228 yards per game, one and a half touchdowns per game, and 15 fantasy points per game. So I, I actually see Teddy as, as kind of a, a fantasy streamer at the quarterback position, kind of like a guy like Rivers uh, or Derek Carr, Baker Mayfield in 2019, um, even, even Sam Darnold, and a lot of people were streaming him towards the end of last year. I, I see him in that tier in this offense. And then I see all the weapons getting a bump uh, from McCaffrey, Yes, I think everybody's expecting a regression. I am as well, but he's still, to me, the clear 101. DJ Moore, I expect his progression to continue. The same way Teddy was hyper-targeting Michael Thomas in New Orleans, I expect that to go DJ Moore's way. It's just kind of that wide receiver one, that alpha dog, and that passing attack. And I do actually expect a slight bump to Curtis Samuel as well, um, just because there's a, it's a it'll be a better offense, more stability. Um, I don't think he becomes the next great deep threat, but I do think he will be better than he has been, um, which has been a guy that you can, can plug in as a flex play on certain weeks. What's really interesting to me, and Alex, I'd like to hear your input on this. What happens now with the 82 vacated targets that Greg Olson has left moving over to the Seahawks? So, you know, any, any thoughts on that? I mean, in regards to the tight end position, Ian Thomas has showed a lot of promise in the past. I expect him to kind of slide right into that role um, and take most of that target share. He's He's got some sleeper appeal in fantasy football. He's definitely been a guy over the past couple of years where uh, you've been able to stream him and get solid performances. Even uh, when Olsen's missed, Ian Thomas has been able to absorb a lot of that uh, target volume. So I do expect Ian Thomas to slide into that role. This offense, you know, as far as the weapons go, should be fairly consistent. Um and like you said, I think DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel both see a step up. We've talked a lot about Curtis Samuel and how many snaps he played and how many routes he ran. I think, didn't he run the most routes in the NFL last season? <laughs> yes, uh, Steph, he was number one. If I'm wrong, but he, he was number one. I mean, one. Teddy's a huge upgrade from what they had last season in Kyle Allen. And, and playerprofile.com uh, does a really interesting stat called danger plays. And what they describe a danger play as is – any play in which the quarterback lacked awareness or took an unnecessary risk that could have resulted in a turnover. And <laughs> oh, no. Kyle Allen was number four in danger plays <laughs> last season. So, I mean, 
not trying to hate on Kyle Allen too much, but he was just thrown in a situation that was a little bit, um, you know, too much of a task for him to handle. I think he's going to be a fine backup uh, in the NFL, but I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is clearly just a huge step up. This is awesome for Teddy. It can't be any happier for him. I've got the Bridgewater jersey behind me from Minnesota. It's a three-year, $63 million deal with $33 million guaranteed. After the career-threatening injury he had and then serving as a backup to Drew Brees, it's just awesome to see him uh, slide right back into a starting role. Super excited to see what he does there. And like you said, I think Teddy's a great fantasy streamer. Um, most of those weapons on that offense get a little bit of an upgrade. And for me, one of the bigger takeaways is Christian McCaffrey. There's no reason he shouldn't get 100 receptions again this season. Teddy loves taking what the defense gives him. Um, he had a 68% completion percentage last season in his nine games. And I think he's going to be perfectly fine dumping the ball to McCaffrey um, at the line of scrimmage or just beyond the line of scrimmage and letting McCaffrey do the work for him. He's someone that's done that. Uh, throughout his entire career we saw it this past year when he filled in with Alvin Kamara and I think he's going to be perfectly content just taking what the defense gives him and letting the game come to him which is which is something that this uh, Carolina Panthers offense hasn't really had last season with Kyle Allen but even before that with Cam Newton um, forcing some things down the field so I'm really excited I think this Panthers offense is going to be much better this season I still think the defense has uh, some work to do. I don't necessarily think they're a playoff contender at this point, but this should be a huge step up for that team and that organization. Absolutely. I think he's a guy, Bridgewater, when he comes in, you know, he's a fan favorite. All players love him. He's a locker room guy. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, I really do think he's going to make a, an impact on the organization. He's just going to bring stability to an offense that's having some churn, some turnover, and some uncertainty looking into the future. And he comes in and, and really is able to be that solid foundation, especially with that new head coach. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how, what that offense is going to look like in terms of you know how many RPOs are they going to run. We know Rule likes the RPO. What is it going to look like in terms of volume for McCaffrey? Are they still going to give it to him you know 20 times a game on the ground uh, and with the, with the touches through the air? So that'll be something we'll monitor as we get closer to the season. But I think we're ready to move on to the next one here. Let's do it. Yeah, the the next signing we're going to talk about, one that I'm personally the most excited about as our Colts fan, is Philip Rivers signing a one-year, $25 million deal to join this Indianapolis Colts team. We all know they have a great elite offensive line. Uh, the defense is very solid. They've got some other pieces and some other weapons. So, Steph, what do you think about this river signing? I'll let you start it off. I'll just throw a hint out there. I'm excited about it. Um, but what does this mean for the Colts? Are they contenders this season? What does it mean for them in fantasy football? Do you like Rivers? Do you like their offensive uh, weapons and their pieces? Uh, lay it on me. Who's the biggest winner and loser from this signing? I think the biggest winner is Jack Doyle. Um, we've seen Rivers always target the tight end, especially in the red zone. We see, saw Antonio Gates, I think Hall of Famer Antonio Gates, uh, you know, have incredible uh, scoring volume even well past his prime when they would just put him in there on the four-yard line and just have him, you know, run a slant to the outside, and, and Rivers was always targeting him. Uh, Rivers also brings a high completion percentage. He completed 66% of his passes uh, with the third most completions in 2019, seventh most attempts, through for 4,600, a little over 4,600 yards in 2019. So we know the volume's there. The only thing that does worry me, and this is where I think in the range of outcomes, we could see the wheels come off. I hate to say this for your Colts. The wheels could come off. Rivers had a tough 2019 at times. He threw 23 touchdowns and 20 interceptions. So almost an even one-to-one -one ratio there. That, that scares me a little bit for the Colts, especially when 
yo, yes, T.Y. Hilton is a beast when he's healthy, when he's on the field, but that, that hasn't been a recurring theme as of late. Maybe we see some of the wide receiver weapons take a step up. Maybe Paris Campbell comes in as that deep threat and, and has a breakout. Maybe Zach Pascal um, you know, can break out as well on the same time that, that uh, Hilton's also on the field. I do think Marlon Mack uh, will benefit if with more scoring opportunity. We have seen uh, Rivers be able to move the ball, uh, be able to get them down there. We saw Mike Williams have a kind of a sneaky uh, year for the Chargers in 2019. I think there could be uh, a player that's a kind of a lesser known weapon uh, on the Colts that could become that new Mike Williams profile kind of guy. And then um, I think they'll be about the same uh, in terms of their ground game. They have a great offensive line. You know, now that Rivers goes from one of the worst O-lines to one of the best, um, everything gets better. You know, we could even see some sneaky guys like Naheem Hines uh, get, a, get a big bump as kind of a sneaky late-round PPR guy. Um, in, you know, in 2019, he was their you know, third down back. I could see that coming into play more. We saw the volume and the efficiency that Austin Ackler was able to have last year. I think Rivers is willing to check it down just the same way we were talking about with Teddy Bridgewater. So um, I, I circle Hines as one to keep my eyes on as we get closer to this season. Keep an eye on his ADP. He could be a really um, you know a late value that could pay off. Um, it just doesn't get me extremely excited. It's I don't see it as a massive upgrade, uh, you know, looking at Jacoby Brissett, but certainly Rivers brings experience, uh, if nothing else, which which can help. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I asked for a winner and a loser, and it sounds like for the most part, the offense is all winners, which I think I actually agree with. That was a bit of a trick question. And regardless <laughs> of if the wheels come off or not, you have to think this is uh, an upgrade for that Colts offense. Rivers threw for 4,600 yards last season. Even if he does throw 20 interceptions, just from a volume perspective, it's going to mean so much to this offense that felt so suppressed at times last year. Um, I really like the point you made about Naheem Hines. We all know what Rivers did with Austin Eckler last season, what he did with guys like um, Melvin Gordon, Darren Sproles in the past. Danny. So there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah, Danny Woodhead. So there's a Don't lot of opportunity <laughs> for <laughs> – we'll never forget Danny Woodhead. He's a legend. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of opportunity for Hines. I think a piece of that is kind of that – Charger system, even with some new head coaches, you know, they come in and they adapt to Rivers' game a little bit. I don't think Rivers is going to come in and totally revamp this Colts offense that Frank Reich has been running. But I think just from a tendency perspective, it is going to mean an uptick in checkdowns for Naheem Hines. I remember so many times last season in the two-minute drill uh, or the hurry-up offense, it just felt like Rivers would dump it to Eckler seven plays in a row. And I remember in a fan, in a fantasy matchup when I went against Eckler, who I think was on your team, um, yes. it was like he's doing nothing. And then all of a sudden he has seven catches for 70 yards on one drive. And I'm like, well, there it goes. There's 14 points. Like, So I think even in those situations, Naheem Hines could have some sneaky value where Rivers just wants to move the ball down the field and get a field goal. He's perfectly content dumping it off five plays in a row for, you know, three air yards, and then the running back runs it for another seven. So that's definitely a great point. I think on the offensive side of the ball, it's going to be great for T.Y. Hilton. Uh, Phillip Rivers has always locked in on his wide receiver one. We know the volume that Keenan Allen has gotten over the past several seasons. In the last three seasons, when Keenan Allen was able to play all 16 games, um, he had at least eight and a half targets a game. 
uh, each season. And that's, you know, the past three seasons in a row. So that's something that's never going to change. Uh, and Hilton last season with Jacoby Brissett only saw seven targets a game in the games he was healthy. So just, you know, give Hilton another target or two per game as that wide receiver one uh, who Phillip Rivers can really lock into as his first read. And I think that's going to go yeah. a really long way for T.Y. Hilton. Uh, he has a great ability to get open deep. He has a great ability to get open um, at the line of scrimmage. So I think it's going to be fun. I do think the Colts still need to bring in another weapon. I don't know that Zach Pascal and um, – you know, Chester Rogers are really going to be able to get it done uh, as the wide receiver too. I would love them to, uh, I would love to see them bring in another maybe lower level free agent wide receiver, or maybe someone in the mid rounds of the draft to help out with that offense. But, but yeah, I think it's great. I think like you said, Jack Doyle is going to see a huge uptick and Phillip Rivers has some streaming ability just because of the volume we've seen. Yeah. He has the volatility to throw three or four interceptions in a game, um, but there's games where he could still go for 300, 350 yards or three or four touchdowns if he has the right matchup. So it's a great move uh, for the Colts, and I think it's a great move in fantasy football for all of these Colts pieces. I definitely love it as a move more for fantasy than I do for, you know, uh, Super Bowl runs and playoff implications. The biggest winner to me, though, is, is Jack Doyle, uh, you know, especially with Eric Ebron um, leaving the Colts, that's 52 vacated targets. You got to think, you know, Jack Doyle saw 72 targets in 2019. I expect him to be even higher than that. Um, so I'll put him as kind of a low end, uh, a mid to low end uh, tight end one. Um, and I think Rivers kind of stays the same. We know what we're going to get out of Rivers. He's been in the league for so long. Uh, but let's let's talk about the next one here. Another trade that was pretty shocking for a lot of people, myself included, did not see this one coming whatsoever. We have Stephon Diggs being traded to the Bills. The Vikings received a ton of draft capital in exchange for him. Alex, I'll have you go first here. What is your uh, implications with you know Diggs now being on a Bills offense that runs the ball seventh most in the NFL? Yeah, this one was shocking, and you know Bill O'Brien has to be kicking himself uh, for you know giving up DeAndre Hopkins for that package when. Um, Stephon Diggs got traded for a 2020 first round, fifth round, sixth round pick, and a 2021 fourth round pick. And all Bill O'Brien got was David Johnson and a round oh. two pick. So you've got to think that they're just <laughs> incredibly disappointed with what they got as a return after seeing this Bill's Vikings trade. And to me, this is a huge step up for Stephon Diggs. I know you might not think so because Kirk Cousins is a much more accurate passer than Josh Allen. A lot of people might um, think this is a bit of a hot take, but I think this is huge for Stephon Diggs. And to me, he's now a locked in wide receiver one for fantasy football next season. I think he's wow. locked in as a top 12 guy. Just looking at what they gave up for him, they absolutely backed up the Brinks truck to get this guy. If you think they're going to bring him in and not pepper him with targets and feature him in the offense, especially knowing how much of a squeaky wheel he is, uh, like he showed in Minnesota, like there's no way that they're not going to give this guy 150 targets this season. Uh, we saw that this Bills offense, even last year, uh, can support a top wide receiver. John Brown went for over 1,000 yards, and Stephon Diggs is – I mean, no hate to John Brown at all, but Stephon Diggs is immensely more talented uh, than John Brown is. And because he likes to talk and he likes to get the ball, I think he's going to see uh, – 
a lot more volume than John Brown did in 2019. So for me, I think he's going to be featured. I think Josh Allen is going to continue to get more accurate as a passer. He made huge strides from his rookie season to this past season. I think that's only going to continue. Um, and, and to me, you know, Josh Allen also takes a step up. This is a true wide receiver one for him. He didn't even really have a wide receiver one last year. John Brown was solid. But when you think about like your DeAndre Hopkins, your Julio Jones, your Amari Cooper, your Keenan Allen type guys, John Brown's just not quite on that level. Now he gets that type of player in Stephon Diggs and still has John Brown as the wide receiver too. Still has Cole Beasley underneath, still has Singletary who can catch it out of the backfield, still has the rushing ability. To me, this puts Josh Allen in conversation as a top five fantasy quarterback. We've talked about it a lot. I've got Lamar, Mahomes, and Kyler as my top three. And I think Dak Prescott might be four and Josh Allen's five. So I think this Bills offense is going to be awesome next season. I know they don't really they don't really get a lot of credibility for being like a super fun, exciting offense, but I think this could definitely take them over the top. Um, and for me, you know, I'm really excited to see what they're able to do. And, and the one big loser in this trade, I think, is John Brown. Uh, he's definitely not a guy I'm really considering next year. Maybe he's a flex type player, but there's little to no chance, I think, that he's going to go back over a thousand yards in 2020. Steph, what do you think? Um, am I off there? Do you think, you know, any of that's ridiculous hot takes, anything like that? And, and did you read this one a little bit differently? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple hot takes in there. I don't necessarily see Diggs as a wide receiver one. I could see it as a potential you know, ceiling for him, um, but I don't expect that by any means. You know, we had John Brown ending as the wide receiver 20 in PPR leagues, uh, looking at season long stats. We had Diggs finishing as the wide receiver 24. So to me, it looks like Josh Allen now gets two John Browns in his arsenal. Now I do like the, the talent and ability of Diggs over Brown. Um, is there a possibility where both of them finish as wide receiver twos? Just with how little volume there is, I, I don't think so. Um, but then again, we did see the Vikings with Thielen and Diggs uh, both kind of finish in that one and two range. So maybe, maybe if Josh Allen takes a big step forward with his completion percentage, he's kind of in that lower end, completes about 58.8% of his passes. Uh, that's a little rough, uh, a little over 3,000 passing yards. Um, and then Josh Allen also, you know, makes uh, his, a lot of his own hay on the ground. Um, so maybe if, if we see, you know, less of Allen taking off and more of him passing the ball to Diggs, maybe there's a lot of yardage in there for Diggs to, to hit that ceiling. I'm sure Diggs will have, you know, his boom and bust games like we've seen him have his entire career. I do think there is a little bit more stability now. Um, and like you said, I, I do think John Brown does take a hit just because of the limited volume. Um, could both of them finish as twos? That's really the main question for me. What do you think about that? I don't think so. Like you said, there's just not enough volume to go around. And for some context, Stephon Diggs had 94 targets last season. John Brown had 115. So you just slide Stephon Diggs into that wide receiver one role in Buffalo, assuming the volume's about the same. And you should expect him to have about 20 more targets. Um, two seasons ago in Minnesota, Stephon Diggs had 149 targets. So he saw... 55 less targets last season. I don't think he's going to get back up to that 149 level, but because he is a true wide receiver one from a skill set perspective, like you said, I expect him to be in the 120 to 130, maybe 140 is the stretch um, target range. And with those numbers, there's no reason he shouldn't have around 1,200 yards, around 90 to 100 receptions, and somewhere from 8 to 10 touchdowns. So, yeah, I... You know, it's tough because there is going to be a little bit of cannibalization with Stephon Diggs and John Brown. It's not like an Arizona type situation where we still think there's upside for Christian Kirk. 
Um, it's a situation where Diggs is going to directly uh, impact John Brown's target volume. Cole Beasley has a different role. He's in the slot, so his should stay uh, fairly constant. And then Dawson Knox is also there at the tight end. So for me, I, I think Stephon Diggs really, really knocks John Brown down a peg. And John Brown should be fine from an NFL perspective, but he's just not someone I'm interested in from a fantasy football perspective. This is the first time that we've seen Diggs take over as a clear alpha for his team's offense. So all you Diggs believers, this is the time. You know, I'm sure in a dynasty league, if you want to sell Diggs really, really high, you can find that guy. Maybe in our league, it's Alex, and you can sell <laughs> Diggs to him, somebody who believes in that wide receiver one upside. I just, it, it's tough. It's tough. I could see it happening, but I see a much more likely outcome is he finishes around the 16 to 24 range, uh, just with That's the fair. limited volume, and he'll he'll have his his blow up games for sure. But I think we've talked enough about Diggs, Alex. Let's move over to the next one here, talking about a couple different tight ends. Yeah, so we really saw three major tight end moves so far, and actually four if you want to count um, Eric Ebron to the Steelers. We'll touch on that one quickly as well at the end. But the first one, this was a big splash. It was Austin Hooper right when free agency opened up. He signed with the Cleveland Browns for a four-year, $42 million deal. $23 million of that is guaranteed. This makes him the highest-paid tight end in the NFL. Steph, you're the Browns fan here. You tell me. Uh, are you excited for Austin Hooper? Do you like the signing for Cleveland? What do you think this does for that Cleveland offense from an NFL perspective? And then do you have any interest in Hooper from a fantasy perspective in 2020? So I think the biggest takeaway from this is looking at the offense that Kevin Stefanski wants to run in Cleveland. Now, before, before I get into this, let me preface by saying we shouldn't just copy and paste the formations and the scheme from the Vikings right over to the Browns. You know, I see a lot of people doing that. Same thing with people with, with you know, McCarthy stepping in for the Cowboys. They're trying to take the previous uh, production that, that he saw um, with a whole, totally different personnel group, a totally different, you know, offense in terms of their strengths and weaknesses. So I don't want to read too far into this, but one thing that, you know, when I say these stats, I think it'll demonstrate uh, the point a little bit more. So we look at the Vikings in 2019, they ran 18% of their plays uh, out of the 11 personnel. So that's one running back, three wide receivers, and one tight end. That is the lowest in the league by far. 18% is extremely low. The second lowest is 30%. Okay, wow. so they very rarely, if ever, ran, um, you know, single tight end sets with three wide receivers out wide. You know, we look at their 12 personnel, which is two wide receivers and two tight ends. You know, they love to hand the ball off to Dalvin Cook. So you got to think a lot of this is, is from, you know, running or, or play action. Um, they ran that at 35% rate. So that's second highest in the entire league, only behind the San Francisco 49ers. And we know how much they love to run the ball. So I expect a lot of two tight end sets to be run in Cleveland. And we look at you know, Cleveland in 2019. They ran about 53% of their plays with that 11 personnel. I expect that to drop significantly. So they're right around middle of the pack in terms of running one tight end sets. I think they're going to run a ton more two tight end sets now that they have Hooper and Njoku. Um, and they also ran uh, the 20 personnel, which is the two running back, three wide receiver uh, formation. That's kind of a reflection of the, the Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt combo, uh, most in the league at 7%. So I expect that to, to kind of stay the same. I think they're going to want to utilize both Chubb and Hunt just because they're both fantastic playmakers. But I do think we're going to see a lot more two tight end sets from Cleveland. So we look at the implications from that. Yes, I think Hooper has value. 
I think he has less than he does in Atlanta. I think the volume will be a bit a, a bit lower because Atlanta loves to throw. They threw the most uh, in 2019. So I ex- definitely expect that to go down. But Baker does love to target the tight end in the red zone. And I think that's where Hooper is going to continue to make his hay, just like he did in Atlanta. I do like him as an option, just kind of bumping him down a little bit. But I think for the Browns offense as a whole, for Odell Beckham, for Jarvis Landry, for Baker, Baker certainly. Uh, and then you look at both the running backs, they're all taking an uptick from this just based on the scheme. And it seems like there finally is a clear direction of how they want this offense to run uh, in 2020 in Cleveland. So, you know, a lot of the ambiguity and and difficulty that we had in what is Freddie Kitchens doing? I don't even think he knew the answer to that question uh, in 2019 (laughs) at times. So to me, this is kind of like the Panthers where we just see a a new piece come in to bring stability. And it tells us as fantasy players a lot of what what we can look forward to. And we've already had reports come out and say Stefanski is going to want to run the ball just as often as they did uh, in Minnesota, bringing that same scheme over. So I love it as a Browns fan. I don't love it for Hunt as or for Hooper, sorry, as much uh, as a fantasy option, um, but one that does get me excited. What are your thoughts? Yeah, those are some those are some really good points. I love what you added, you know, just about the offensive personnel, and, and it seems like to me that it's just back on the Cleveland hype train. It feels like last offseason was like, <laughs> oh, they got all these weapons, they got Odell, they got you know Kareem Hunt, and and now I just feel like we're we're back to that exact you know, narrative where it's like, oh, they got Odell and Jarvis Landry. They got Austin Hooper now and David Njoku. They've got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. They're too deep at all the skill positions with absolute stud playmakers. And to me, it all falls on Baker Mayfield now. This is kind of like last-ditch effort for Baker, if you will. Um, They bring in the new coaching staff, which I think is going to help him a ton. They bring in a tight end for him to throw to, an elite receiving tight end, which I think should help him a ton. And I do expect Baker to improve over last year and succeed in this offense. But, but man, if he doesn't, he is going to be on the hot seat for sure. I believe they brought in Case Keenum to be his backup. I don't read too much into that. I think, you know, the money-wise, it was uh, pretty standard for a, for a veteran, you know, seasoned right. backup who has started before. But to me, it's like Stefanski and Case Keenum have some ties and you know I don't think there's like a threat to Baker Mayfield's starting job this season but if the wheels come off again like the Baker experiment could be over faster than we think especially just given the weapons that they have so from a fantasy perspective though I agree with you I think Hooper still has value I think he's somewhere you know from tight end six to tight end eight he was actually running as tight end one for a while in 2019 before he got hurt so I think he's still a very startable tight end he's going to be um you know, maybe have some inconsistency, but but should be able to score a decent amount of touchdowns. Should be in the eight to ten touchdown range at the tight end position, and he he also is is really elite from a um, receptions and a receiving yard standpoint. We've seen him just rack up receptions in Atlanta. It was like it seemed like every game last season he was getting seven for seventy yards minimum. So uh, I do think he's still startable. And then, like you said, I mean, I agree with you one hundred percent here. The rest of that cleveland offense should take a step up it should help baker a lot it should make him streamable which we didn't really see out of him last season and hopefully it takes some pressure off of odell and jarvis and allows them to um, get some more openings downfield and i think really just the coaching staff uh, in general is going to really turn the tide for cleveland it was a train wreck last season we all saw it firsthand and they still were able to win a couple games so um, i think you know the sky is the limit again for cleveland this season and because of what happened last year a lot of people are sleeping on them when in reality like all the young pieces, all the talent is still there. They have a coaching staff that knows what they're doing now. So 
Um, yeah, for me, you know, I'm not super excited about Hooper, but I'm more keeping an eye on Baker and some of those other pieces in this offense. The only other thing I'll say is all the Njoka believers, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. He's not going to become, you know, a, a huge, uh, no. you know, top five tight end option. Those few guys, maybe it's like three of them. Um, they're, they're a little <laughs> bit sad by this signing. Uh, but let's go ahead and move on to the next one. One is one David here. Njoku himself. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, let's talk about, uh, you know, the, the position now being filled in by Hayden Hurst as the tight end for the Atlanta Falcons. So we see Austin Hooper leave. He finishes the tight end six in 2019. Uh, had 75 receptions on 97 targets for 787 yards and six touchdowns. I do expect the volume to come down. I've kind of already thrown that out there as the Falcons threw the most uh, in the NFL in, in 2019. But regardless, I think Hurst could you know, be in that range. We saw him be productive and show a lot of flashes in Baltimore. There wasn't a ton of receiving volume for him as they really looked at Mark Andrews as, as the tight end one there and Hurst as a two or maybe even a three behind Boyle um, at different times in terms of their receiving chops. But I do like this for Hurst as a fantasy option. I do like it um, for the Falcons. Just kind of wait to... to continue to rotate guys in that talent into that tight end spot and still be able to keep that offense on schedule so in terms of not giving up a ton of cap and just keeping a a playmaker in at the tight end position I think it was a smart move for them um, Alex what do you think for Hurst in this offense from a fantasy perspective are you putting him as a tight end one yeah I have him as you know close to that tight end one range I think he certainly has top 12 potential especially with the tight end landscape that's just been fairly weak over the past few seasons and fairly top heavy so it's interesting though they traded Hayden Hurst in a 2024th round pick for a 2022nd round pick and a fifth round pick so you look at this and the Ravens almost got as much for Hayden Hurst that the Texans did for DeAndre Hopkins which oh no is just it's it's a sad story you hate to see it um, it's a really tough scene for Houston fans everywhere, so uh, we'll keep you in our thoughts and prayers, Houston. But, <laughs> yeah, from a fantasy perspective, I think it's great for Hayden Hurst. I think this was a brilliant move by Atlanta as well. And Hurst is a guy who was a first-round pick just a couple seasons ago, um, so he's got the talent. He obviously had the draft pedigree uh, to be featured in an offense. So, you know, I think the Falcons – should not have signed Hooper to that deal he got. It was it was a big deal, and it's great for Hooper. And I think, like we just talked about, it's going to be great for Cleveland as well. But it just didn't really make sense for this Falcons team. They're trying to save cap, not really spend. We saw him cut Devontae Freeman in a move to save some cap space and then bring on Todd Gurley. So um, for me, I think it's a great move for, for everyone involved. And I think Hayden Hurst is going to definitely see some uh, increased target volume than he did in Baltimore this past season. And he could be a guy who could be a sneaky – um, tight end one and he's a guy if you have you know if you're stacked at receiver and you're stacked at running back you can probably roll him out at tight end and hope he gets five for 50 yards and maybe he sneaks in a touchdown which a couple seasons ago is really how Austin Hooper kind of broke onto the scene as Matt Ryan continued to build that rapport with him we saw him break out so maybe this season is kind of just like a transition year for Hayden Hurst and he shows some flashes and he's still so young maybe he still has that upside to break out in the future so uh, on the Ravens side of this deal, I'm bumping up Mark Andrews slightly. Lamar Jackson loves targeting those tight ends. Bringing Hayden Hurst out of the picture should mean uh, maybe some more touchdown volume when they get down near the goal line for Mark Andrews. So um, a great a great trade for both sides. I think you know the Ravens will use that second round pick. They have a lot of needs. Maybe they pick up a wide receiver with that pick um, as they move forward. 
So let's move over to another move, and this one's going to be kind of gross to talk about on the surface, but I think there is some points that I we was surprised. Here. I was really surprised you even had this one as a talking point. It's really the so only the, <laughs> the only the only point I want to make is uh, a title that I'm now targeting um, as whether it's a sleeper or I'm sure he won't be a sleeper by the time we get to draft season. Uh, with Jason Witten signing a one-year deal with the Raiders. I don't expect Jason Witten to be the starter. He's going to be fighting for the tight end two position behind Waller. Honestly, to me, I'm putting him even behind Foster Moreau. Uh, we'll just see how Gruden wants to, to run that offense and the personnel he wants to include. Really, the biggest takeaway for me, though, is Blake Jarwin, who the Cowboys now just uh, extended. He's now at a four-year contract uh, and with the new coach in there. So it feels to me like Blake Jarwin's going to have a, a you know, pretty strong role in the Cowboys offense. And you have vacated... Uh, you know, 83 vacated targets from Jason Witten, another 83 vacated targets from Randall Cobb. I do expect them to bring in a, another wide receiver three weapon, but still, I'm, I'm circling Blake Jarwin, um, and I will certainly have my eyes on him as we move over to the draft season. That's really the only takeaway that I had, uh, nothing in terms on the, the Jason Witten side. But just wanted to throw that out there, Alex. You may think I'm, I'm on crack right now. What are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's worth throwing out there. I think for the Raiders, this – you know, the Witten signing, it's great to have that veteran presence in the locker room um, and on the field, even if in a limited role. Jason Witten is a class act, and he's a guy who's going to provide a lot of leadership for that team. Um, they have the all-Monday Night Football broadcaster team now with Gruden and Jason Witten uh, <laughs> united, so maybe uh, Gruden can give him some pointers if he ever wants to get back on Monday Night Football again. Um, but, yeah, I think Blake Jarwin's a great call. He has the opportunity to get up to – you know, 80 to 100 targets this season. Like you just said, Witten has 83 targets gone. Cobb has 83 targets that are gone. Jarwin easily could get to that 80, 100 target range, which puts him in uh, consideration for a tight end 8 to tight end 10 um, based on the volume he gets. In the final game of the 2018 season, we saw a huge burst from Blake Jarwin out of nowhere. He had seven catches for 119 yards and three touchdowns in one game. So we've seen like maybe that was just one flash in the pan, but he's proven that he can be effective in the passing game before if the volume is there he's another guy along with Hayden Hurst that could be really good sleepers this season and potential breakouts late in drafts absolutely and one more tight end that we need to talk about here is Eric Ebron who got signed to the Steelers I think this is a great move by the Steelers Ebron you know feels like he hasn't been able to reach his potential quite yet but he showed a lot of great flashes in indianapolis had so many clutch plays there i remember one where he's back of the end zone toe tapping to save oh, the yeah. game as the clock's running out I, I loved ebron as a fit uh for the Colts, just with how much they used the the tight end and two tight end sets um i think his his um outlook really stays the same maybe a higher ceiling um, just as he'll kind of be the de facto tight end one for Pittsburgh. But Alex, what are your thoughts here on the Ebron situation? I actually really like it for Eric Ebron. I mean, RIP Vance McDonald's fantasy value. That's something that is gone and will never be coming back. Um, but <laughs> but I think it's a I think it's a great move for Pittsburgh, and it's a really good career move for Eric Ebron. Like you said, I think the ceiling goes up. Uh, there's going to be a lot more passing volume in this offense. Ben Roethlisberger has had valuable tight ends in the past. Um, with uh, what was that guy's name? It was Miller. Um, let me spot check that really quick. But but Ben Roethlisberger has used the tight end very effectively in the past, and Eric Jesse Ebron James. is yeah Jesse James and Vance McDonald a couple seasons ago. But I'm thinking even farther back than that. Maybe it's Heath Miller. Maybe that was before um, Ben Roethlisberger's time. Maybe I'm a little bit mixed up here. But I just think. <laughs> 
Um, it's a great move for Giron. We've seen the touchdown upside he's provided in the past. Um, we've seen you know him be really effective. He led the NFL in receiving touchdowns at the tight end position a couple seasons back. Uh, when he had Andrew Luck. So I think it's a great move for Pittsburgh too. bring Ben Roethlisberger back. You still have that Antonio Brown sized hole on that offense. And you've got Juju Smith-Schuster who's stepping up. Um, Deontay Johnson showed a lot of promise uh, in that offense um, last season as a rookie. So you've got a field stretcher as well. Um, they still Absolutely. have James Washington. And then you throw Eric Ebron as a big body target in the mix with James Conner out of the backfield. And that's a really good combination. So I think it's a great signing. And Eric Ebron, maybe he has some spot start appeal in fantasy. I don't know how consistent it's going to be. I don't know what his receptions, his yards, his target volume is going to look like. Pittsburgh is a little bit up in the air right now from a fantasy perspective because we're one year removed from Ben Roethlisberger, so we're not really sure um, how that's going to look. It's really going to be our first look at the Steelers with – uh, ben Roethlisberger without AB in quite um, in quite some time. So, you know, Big Ben is saying he's throwing for uh, throwing without pain for the first time in a long time. So maybe you know he's feeling great. I've seen some some videos and some pictures of Ben Roethlisberger lately, and it looks like he's straight out of Middle Earth uh, from Lord <laughs> of the Rings. So he's definitely been hibernating a little bit, carving up uh, for the season and getting ready. So we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, it's a great signing for both sides. And, and to spot check myself. Heath Miller, tight end for the Pittsburgh Steelers, saw 81 targets back in the 2015 wow. regular season. So I don't know why I spaced straight back to 2015, but Big Ben has has liked to use the tight end, but uh, hasn't really been you know a Tom Brady level from targeting the tight end in the past. So Eric Ebron definitely has some upside, but uh, not a guy I'm getting super excited about on draft day as a sleeper. Certainly like it for their offense. And, you know, maybe we see Big Ben have a couple more years in him. I know he's on his last contract with, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel right now is retirement uh, for him. So would love to see him have a high-powered, strong passing attack offense to kind of send him out of Pittsburgh uh, before he reaches retirement. Steph, out of all these guys we've talked yeah. about really quickly, uh, we'll, we'll leave Hooper out of this because I think he'd be the obvious choice. But between Eric Ebron, Hayden Hurst, and Blake Jarwin, which one would you rather have in fantasy football in 2020? Well, I think right now I got to say Hayden Hurst, but that could change by the time the season comes around. I just love the volume uh, for him. Yeah. We don't, no volume is guaranteed for Jarwin. I don't even know what the, the volume is going to look like for Ebron. You know, with all the other weapons that they have, I see Hurst as being that like third wide receiver um, with a team that throws it as much and as often as the Falcons do with Matt Ryan. Hurst is the standout to me. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I think Blake Jarwin um, would He's probably sneaky. be my number two and then Eric Ebron third, but I'm with you. I think Hayden Hurst has a lot of potential in that Atlanta offense. So Alex, last signing we're going to talk about on this episode, we'll have part two of the free agency signings and fantasy implications coming out probably next week. But let's talk about Nick Foles getting signed to the Bears. So the Jaguars get all that cap space. You know, we talked about Nick Foles. He's the 15th highest paid player in all of football across all positions. He's on a huge contract. And the Jags get that off their books. Uh, really surprising trade. About, it, it, was, it was pretty surprising to me. I don't know why the Bears were willing to take on all that cap space, but we looked at, at the Bears at the end of 2019 saying maybe they bring somebody in, right? Maybe they sign a name in free agency to light a fire under Trubisky and say, look, you know, this is your time. We're going to bring in somebody to compete with you. And we're really going to know at the end of this season if you're our guy moving forward. And I really think that's what this is. Um, I saw a great quote from Ian Rappaport 
He said, best case scenario for the Bears is that they wasted a lot of money on Nick Foles because that will mean Mitch Trubisky emerged as the unquestioned starter. Mm. And I think that's a great summary of what this Bears quarterback situation is. Alex, what do you think? Do you think we're going to be seeing Foles as a, a weekly starter by week five? Oh, man, this is <laughs> this is just interesting. I mean, we talked about the Jaguars cap situation a few weeks back, and I remember it was like, they're not going to bring in another quarterback because they don't have the flexibility or, or the ability to be basically because of this uh, mismanagement in signing Nick Foles. And here they're able to to dump his contract off their books and actually get a 2024th round pick in return, which is really surprising again to me. But but yeah, this Bears team, I think we, we do see Mitch Trubisky as the starter heading into the season. But just based on the inconsistency we've seen, I think we see Nick Foles come in as the starter by week five or six this year. And to me, from a fantasy football perspective, that's an increase to all the Chicago Bears weapons. That gets me excited for Allen Robinson. That gets me excited for Anthony Miller, who emerged at the end of last season. And Allen Robinson has been just criminally underrated um, since coming back from that ACL injury. He was phenomenal in Chicago last season. I listened to a really cool interview that Allen Robinson had with Gary Vee recently, and and he just is so motivated by haters and so motivated by kind of um, being that underrated guy. So I really respect him a lot as as a player and as a person. So I think Nick Foles could be the best thing for him kind of getting back uh, into the conversation as a true wide receiver one. So uh, to me, maybe – you know, this lights the fire under under Mitch Trubisky and he's able to to fend off Nick Foles and become the guy like that best case scenario you laid out. But just based on the total inconsistency we've seen out of Trubisky in the past, we've seen him have some incredible games. We've seen the upside. He's had five touchdown games. He's had these games where he just puts the team on his back and then he comes out and, you know, completes 50 percent of passes and, and, you know, throws two interceptions the next week. So. Um, I think it could be the best thing for him. Maybe Nick Foles is able to come in and really be a mentor for a guy like Mitch Trubisky. Nick Foles has the Super Bowl experience. He's a guy who's lived under the radar his entire career as well. Um, but I do expect to see Foles sometime this season. And if if you're a dynasty owner and you have any of those Bears pieces, I think this is something you should be pretty excited about. This kind of reminds me, uh, gives me flashbacks to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they had – Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston, where we could see <laughs> Trubisky and Foles go back and forth as one you know hits, hits some more inconsistency. Oh, he's thrown two interceptions in this game. Let's go ahead and throw Trubisky back in. Oh, Trubisky just threw two interceptions. Let's go ahead and put Foles back in. Like I can see that happening week to week. Um, but no, I, I agree 100%. I think Foles is a upgrade through the air uh, for all the pieces on that offense. Um, you know, I don't know if I'm looking at him from a fantasy standpoint. I'm sure he'll be a guy in that streaming range. We can grab him maybe late in the season. Uh, we'll see. You know, maybe this is exactly what Trubisky needs to take the step up, um, whether it's the the mentorship and the leadership that, that Foles can give him or it's the competition in that quarterback room every day. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, we can see kind of everybody firing on all cylinders here. We'd love to see the Bears offense do well. We keep hearing the Matt Nagy hype year in, year out. Would love to finally see that. Uh, you know, for, for the Chicago fans um, deliver. So Alex, I think that's the last one that we're going to touch on here. Anything else to add before we sign off? Um, let's see. One last thing I think I would like to add here. It's, it's back to my boy, Heath Miller. He got me so excited when we were talking about the Steelers. <laughs> I just want to read through really quickly 
Um, some of Heath Miller's stats with Ben Roethlisberger. I, I, I'm just really excited to see, you know, Big Ben. Like, of all the questions we have in the NFL, it's like Tom Brady's changing teams. Philip Rivers is changing teams. Like, all this madness is going on. And something else to just add into the fold is the fact that, like, the Steelers are a total mystery, and it's a team that no one's really talking about right now. We They don't have AB anymore. They don't have Le'Veon anymore. We didn't really get a true sample size last year um, with Ben Roethlisberger missing the entire season. So as far as this season goes, like James Conner could be undervalued. Juju Smith-Schuster could be undervalued. Big Ben might be undervalued. And maybe the tight end position is undervalued. So my boy Heath Miller, let's read off some of these stats. Um, <laughs> let's see. Back in 2012, 2012. Tight end, 101 targets, 71 receptions, 816 yards, Ooh. and eight touchdowns with Ben Roethlisberger. 2009, 98 targets, 76 receptions, 789 yards, and six touchdowns. So, you know, we could talk about Heath Miller all we wanted, but I think the point I'm trying to make <laughs> here is, like, keep an eye on Pittsburgh. It's something I didn't really even think about until we kind of got into the discussion about them on today's show. Uh, and they're they're – a team that could have a lot of value lying around in mid to late rounds because um, of kind of the bad taste that was left in everyone's mouth from the 2019 season. So that's all I got for today. Uh, there's still a couple pieces that have yet to land in NFL free agency. It's going to be really fun uh, to see where some of these last couple guys go. Robbie Anderson is still out on the market. Um, Andy Dalton, we don't really know where he's going to end up next season. Uh, Jameis Winston is out there on the market. The Patriots don't really have a starting quarterback unless they move forward with Jarrett Stidham. So it's going to be another fun week. We're going to be coming at you with uh, episode two where we're going to break down some of the running back and receiver uh, signings that happened um, so far in the offseason. So uh, it was awesome to get through some of these trades and quarterbacks today. Sometimes it's just good to debrief and talk about everything. Sometimes you just need someone to talk to you to get it off your mind. Like I think I'm still having trouble processing <laughs> Uh, some of the trades that went down so it's a lot of fun i think we needed this with everything that's going on right now uh, but i'm super excited to, to get into next week's show as well absolutely I, i'm pumped this this to me i don't know maybe it's just recency bias but this feels like one of the most fun and exciting and like breaking trades that we've ever seen in a free agency maybe again maybe it's just recency bias here but this feels like one of the most fun ones that we've witnessed and i'm glad it's coming on you know this year when you know, a lot of sports are getting canceled, postponed indefinitely, etc. Um, guys, thank you all so much for listening. We had a blast going through these. We'll be back soon to break down more. Uh, and I think with all that said, we'll see you all next time.